0: Three weeks from today, we will celebrate Easter, along the way, home Sunday. It's a look at our walk to the cross, next on Graceful Truth, with Pastor Steve Converse. from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We begin a three-part series called A Walk with Jesus to the Cross. We begin in Philippians chapter two, where Paul tells us that he humbles himself, and through this humiliation on the cross, he is indeed exalted, given a name above all names. It's the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and there's your name. We're examining this walk to the cross beginning today. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. You
1: know, as we think of of the name Jesus Christ, there's probably a lot that goes through our mind depending on where we're at spiritually it could be our lord and savior it could be a religious icon to us it could be uh, a curse word (laughs) Uh, we've heard people use that over and over again today i want to talk on the subject that jesus christ he's more than just a good man because a lot of times when you ask people what do you think of jesus usually unless they're christian they're a religious person, something like that. But if, if they're just not connected with the church in any way or any religious background, they'll say, "Well, oh, he was a good teacher, or he was this, or he was that. They kind of conclude that basically that he was someone who had an impact, but it's not something that is to be an eternal impact. You know, you don't want to get radical about this Jesus stuff, because then you're, then you're kind of stamped as some religious freak, and we don't want that, do we? So, you know, that's kind of the way people look at it. Jesus Christ actually asked His disciples probably the most important question throughout all history when He asked them this question in the Gospels, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? In other words, it doesn't matter what other people think. He wanted to know what their heart was concerning His identity. And you know what? That's probably still the most important question that we could ever ask or be asked and this morning, I want you to ask that question of yourself. Who do you think that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that He is? There's no more crucial question, I would say, for us to answer than that question that is asked of our Lord in the Gospels. What would you say if someone came up to you today at the grocery store and asked you this question? Tell me, who is, who is this Jesus Christ? I see you're dressed up. You must have went to church. Who is Jesus Christ anyway? What would be your answer? But you know what? That's an important question to ask. That's so important. How would you reply if somebody asked you this question? What did Jesus Christ do that has made him so great? What did he do? So this morning we want to focus on the question, well, who is Jesus Christ? Who he was and who he continues to be? He's still alive he was risen from the dead well some say jesus was a great teacher and that's true some people say well he was a healer he was a prophet some people even go as far as to say that he was some revolutionary that kind of led this revolt and uh, against the, the roman government and all this stuff Uh, Some people would focus on his love. They would say, well, he's obviously a person of great love. He was a wonderful, tremendous religious leader of the day. And all those things in and of themselves are true. And altogether, they're true of who our Lord and Savior is and was in his day. But unless we see Jesus Christ for who he is as God, who became man, the perfect God-man, you might say, When I was in youth ministry, I used to tell the kids, well, you know, Jesus Christ was God in a bod. And that's so true. That's exactly who he is. He was God in a bod. Unless we understand that, unless we start at the very foundation of that theological belief, we miss the greatness that he has done in history and and has done throughout his life and even throughout the church and all that. And you say, well, what did He do? When people are asked, what did Jesus Christ do? And what made Him so important? A lot of folks come up with different things. Some say, well, He taught us how to love. He taught us how to love. And you see passages in Scripture where He directly uh, deals with that aspect of who we are. How do we love each other? He told His disciples, you know, unless you love one another, that, you know, that's how they should know you. You should be known by your love for me and for each other. Some other folks say, well, he would point people to God. That's what he did. Uh, some people would say he healed people. Some people say, well, he knew God, obviously. I mean, you know, look at who he was. His, ter- his teaching literally turned the world upside down. If you stop and think about it. Some people say, well, he's given us hope. Do you ever think that just our whole time frame, B.C., A.D., in the year of our Lord, before Christ, all those things focus around that one person, Jesus Christ. See, but if we focus on all those things, and yet we still miss what He came for, We, if we miss the understanding that Jesus came to die on the cross, and if we miss the understanding of what He did, if we fail somehow to comprehend what Jesus did for us on the cross... I really believe that we'll fail to comprehend the main reason that he came to earth. That's why he came. He didn't come just so he could be some religious icon. He didn't come so he could have a bunch of people following him. He didn't even come to heal people. He didn't come to raise people from the dead. He didn't come to, you know, oppose the Pharisees. All those things he did, but that's not the real reason why he came. The real reason Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, took on a human body, the whole reason He did that was so someday that He could be nailed to a cross and die in our stead on our behalf. That's the whole reason. And I think that we have to remember that what He did for us on the cross makes Him probably the most important person in most of our lives if we understand that. And to catch a glimpse of His love and to catch a glimpse of His power and His greatness... We need to see and we need to stop and we need to pause because so many times we go to the cross right away. Well, what happened before the cross? Stop and think what kind of humiliation he must have had to go through. And I'm not talking the humiliation of Holy Week when he was being scourged and his, his beard was being plucked out. We'll get to that in the coming weeks. But think about it this way. Think of the humiliation he must have went through when he became a man. <laughs> can you imagine being God and limiting yourself, taking on a human body? That calls for a lot of humiliation. And then to be a man that dies on something like a cross, which is basically, you know, that's that's not a good thing. It was not a good thing. It's probably not a good thing today either to die on a cross. There, there's different ways you can die. Well, in their culture, that was probably one of the most hideous ways that you could die. And see, we forget that Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, He understood what He was here. And it's really vitally important for us to see the cross as the most important event in history. And what we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks is we're going to trace the last few days of the life of Christ and we're going to concentrate mainly on His sufferings so that we can fully understand why we should make Jesus Christ the owner of our lives. Because all He's done for us, we should somehow come to grips with what He's done for us and that should make an effect on our life. And I want want you to ask yourself these questions in the next coming weeks. Just how much humility did Christ show in becoming the Savior? How much humility did He have to show to become the Savior? Why was becoming a man so humbling for Him? What was the most humbling event in the life of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at all those in the coming weeks. But turn over to the book of Philippians this morning because I want to share a verse with you. We're just going to kind of pause here a little bit. In Philippians chapter 2, and we want to understand these humbling steps that Christ took because He loved us so much He wanted to reach us. And we need to look at one of the most important passages in the New Testament when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's not in the Gospels. I believe it's right here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, let this mind or have this attitude uh, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. What's it say he did? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, we need to see some principles today, and these principles are this. We need to see that Jesus surrendered His rights in order to redeem us, in order to buy us back. He needed to surrender His own rights. He also Jesus assumed a humble position in order to redeem us. That's very important to understand who Christ was. And we also need to understand that Jesus had to completely, not just halfway, not three-quarters of the way, not 99%, He had to completely be obedient to His heavenly Father, even to the point of dying on a cross in order to redeem us. So the first principle there, we need to see that Jesus surrendered His rights in order to redeem us. We're going to share some points here, kind of under each one of these. There's really kind of no rhyme or reason to this, but the, the, the idea is we want to see, we want to understand the humbling steps Christ took to reach you and me. And He did that through various ways. First of all, how do He do it? Well, we must first try to grasp His greatness. See, if we don't understand who Christ is and was, saying He humbled Himself, who cares? You could be a billionaire that has millions and billions of dollars, and if I see you down dressed in tattered clothes, pushing a shopping cart, handing out sandwiches to the poor, and I know who you are, then I'm going to say, whoa, that, that's a humbling thing. This guy could just go hire somebody to go do this, but he's actually doing this. He, he's, he's even identifying with the people he's ministering to. He's not down there in his three-piece suit. Very important. See, but if we didn't know that person was a billionaire, wouldn't ah, that? There's another bum on the street. See, we need to understand His greatness, first of all. And stop and ask yourself this question, how do we measure love? One way, I think, that we see just how much someone is willing to sacrifice for those He loves. That's how we measure love. But see, we have to understand, first of all, here, Christ's greatness in order to understand how much He sacrificed. Because when we look at how much Jesus Christ and we fully understand how much He gave up to come down, to be born of a virgin, to take on a human body, to live the life He did, to be, to be subject to all the scrutiny that He was and then to die on a cross, we begin to realize that Jesus Christ was more than just a good man. <laughs> the idea goes, the greater the sacrifice, what? The greater the love, right? If He didn't have anything to sacrifice, well then, He's not going to be able to show us His love very much. And I think this morning we want to see that Christ sacrificed more in an effort to help others than any other person ever. He stepped down from the heights of heaven to experience something that was so excruciatingly painful and shameful and humiliating, this death on the cross. Why did He do it? He did it because He loved us. He wanted to rescue us who were quickly on our way to the depths of hell. We don't hear much about hell today, but hell's a very real place. It's a place of utter torment. It's a place where you know the, the flesh doesn't die, it's not going to be burned up, all this stuff that you're going to be conscious in hell. It's a place where there's there's absolute absence of anything that has to do with God. And some people say, Well, when I end up down there, I'll be partying with my buddies. No, you won't. That would not be punishment. That would not be torment. That would be fun. <laughs> You're not going to have fun in hell. Sorry. God didn't make a place of hell so that you could have fun. It's meant to judge our sin. And the only way out of that place is to have our our judgment meant for us on the cross of Christ. And that's what Christ did. But just who was Jesus Christ before he came to earth and died for our sins? Stop and think. Was he an angel? (laughs) Was he some other created being before he came to earth? No, some people believe that, but that's not what the Bible says. In Philippians 2.6, the Bible shows us that He was God. He is God and He always will be God. In Philippians 2.6, it says there very cl- clearly, who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard, it, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, that verse in Philippians 2.6 teaches us that Jesus Christ did not have to grasp at being God. That's what that means. Because he was already, and he always will be, God. Stop and think about it. If you've always been an American, do you have to grasp at being an American? No. It's already done. If you stand six feet tall, do you have to go home and put yourself on a stretcher? Oh, you know, I I just want to be six feet. You you wouldn't do that. Why? Because you're already six feet. You wouldn't try to be six feet. You already are six feet. If you inherited $5 million, would you struggle somehow to reach millionaire status? No. You would already be a millionaire. See, Jesus Christ did not have to work at being equal with God. For He has always been God. That's who He is. From all eternity, Jesus Christ coexisted with the Father and the Spirit as God. We call that the Trinity. You say, well, I don't understand it. We well, you know what? I don't understand it either. <laughs> but that's what God's Word says. And it says it rather clearly over and over and over again. They're not three different gods. That wouldn't be good. It's one God. Three distinct personages. And they all make up God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How do you explain that? I don't know. Some people say, well, it's like an egg. You know, you got the shell, the yolk. Now, you can't use that. You can't even use water, vapor, ice. None 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 of the examples on a human level add up. Because they always kind of... One falls here or there. They're all one. And yet they coexist together as one God. And yet they're all distinct. They all have different roles. Any statement true about God also applies to Jesus Christ, for He's God. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who's he talking about there? He's talking about Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus Christ the Word of God. In that verse and he says in the beginning was the word in other words it always was there was never a created time when Jesus Christ hasn't been you say well I thought he was born yeah he was born of a virgin he took on a human body but that's not when he began his existence he just inhabited a human body for 30 some years and then he died on a cross but he he has lived in and throughout eternity and continues to live so we have to understand where He is, we have to grasp His greatness, first of all. Secondly there, to understand the humbling steps that Christ took to reach out to you and me in our sin, we need to understand and we need to know that Jesus Christ is all-powerful. So you may say, well, you know, yeah, He's, with, he's God, but is He all-powerful? Yes, He is. Because since Christ is God, there has never been nor will there ever be anyone as powerful who has walked the face of the earth as He is. It's impossible for us to understand the total magnitude of his strength I mean we can't even comprehend it but the Bible tells us a little bit about it it tells us a little bit about his power over in Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 I mean here just to give you a little idea of what God says about the power that is within his son Jesus Christ he says in verse um, 16 he says for by all for by him all things were created what does that mean everything well it says in the Greek For by all things, by Him all things, that means all. All means all. All things were created that are in heaven, and He goes on, that are in earth, visible, invisible, pretty interesting, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. And then in verse 17, it says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. You know, what key things do those verses tell you about Christ's power? Pretty interesting study if you stop and you think about it. Pretty powerful individual. If He created everything we see around us, doesn't matter whether it's visible or invisible, it was not only created by Him, but it was created for Him. That's a pretty powerful individual. And it says that He's before all things. That means basically He's over everything. That's not referring to, okay, He was born before anybody else. No, it doesn't have that. It's not talking about the idea that something began in time. It's talking about something that always was. Therefore, he's over everything. I mean, how much power do you think it would take to create the sun, moon, and stars that we see around us? Stop and think about it. Have you ever done any study in those areas? I mean, it's amazing what they're finding out about our universe and galaxies, and it goes on and on and on. And it's mind blowing. And yet, what do they want us to think? Yeah, you know, we're just a slime a slum ball in the in the, the swamp and then we kind of bumped up on the ground and pretty soon, you know, we sprang a leg, and uh, pretty soon we're walking around. Oh, uh, here we go. They were building cars and factories, and I mean that's such a crazy argument. That's like walking into an office and saying, "Boy, that's a beautiful picture on the wall." Yeah, what's the next question? Usually, who painted that? Who's the artist behind that picture? You don't just say, "Gee, that just appeared there, just out of vapor. It just kind of just appeared." Or I left some crumbled up paper in my office and I came back on Monday morning and boom, it had formed itself into this beautiful piece of art on the wall. That would be ridiculous. And yet we look at something as creative and as, boy, detailed and, and all the minutiae that goes on within our bodies, all these things, and we say, yeah, we just came from a blob that was floating around in the water. <laughs> it's nuts. And yet the enemy, that's what he wants. He wants to take the glory away from God and replace it with the glory of man. So hopefully man can think and say, oh yeah, well, we're, we're evolving or we're doing this and we're doing that. Stop and think how much power it took to create the sun, moon, stars. How much strength do you think it would take to hold all the galaxies in our orbit? You know, when they, molecular scientists, they get right down to the atom and they start looking at things, they kind of scratch their head because they're going, hmm, we really don't understand what kind of holds everything together because everything's zipping around here. You know, I mean, if you take a rock on a a thing and you start spinning it around, what happens? It goes out. And if you leave it go, where's it go? It it wants to go, right? Well, what's holding everything together? Our scripture says. And in Him, all things hold together. And I think there's going to come a day, beloved, when Christ says, okay, (laughs) not that I'm tired, but I'm just done holding things together. (laughs) Because the Bible says that basically this earth, this heaven, everything we see in front of us now will be burned up one day. How would that happen? I don't know. But I think if Christ lets go of things, we're in a a world of hurt. And that could be exactly what happens. It's impossible for our minds to comprehend the greatness of who Christ was or His power. And within His own even personal reach, He has power beyond description. Amazing power. No created being could ever stand up to His power or His strength. Because Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is God Almighty. There's none like him ever. We not only understand where he came from, we always understand we also need to understand that he is all powerful. Thirdly, to understand the humbling steps that Christ took to reach down to us, you and me, to save us, we need to understand that Christ emptied himself. Whoa. What's that mean? Turn back to Philippians chapter. 2, verse 7 it says there in the text 2 7 speaking of jesus but he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant he emptied himself what an amazing declaration paul tells us that christ is god but that he did the most unreal astounding thing when he left heaven and he came to earth it says he emptied himself and he took on the form of a bond servant now, i don't know about you but if i was god in heaven jesus christ and i was coming to earth i wouldn't come as a servant i mean you're god you could come as you know whoever you want some of you sports fans you could come as your your favorite basketball player your you know favorite football player baseball player whatever you could come as as the top ceo of the top company of the world i mean you could come as anybody you wanted if you were god but no he chose to come as what a bond servant well what is that What is a bond servant? What does that really mean? What does it mean in the Bible when it says he emptied himself? I want you to understand the one thing it doesn't mean, sometimes the best way to figure out what something means is by what it doesn't mean, it does not mean that Christ quit being God. It does not mean that somehow when he came down to heaven, he emptied himself of his deity. It doesn't mean that. It couldn't mean that. Because if it means that, then we're in opposition to what the Bible says. In Hebrews 13.8, it says Jesus Christ is the same what? yesterday today and forever so you can't have a Jesus Christ in eternity past who's with God and he is deity and then he comes comes to earth and he loses his deity and then he regains it later some people believe that but it says here he's the same yesterday today and forever see if Jesus Christ has always been the same could there ever been a time when he was not God (laughs) no when Jesus came to earth he remained God but he took on humanity he became a real man in addition to being totally absolutely really God. He'd always been God, but he added, you might say, the extra baggage and the extra burden of becoming human.
0: Well, today we have begun a series simply entitled A Walk with Christ to the Cross as we work our way towards Easter. Just three weeks away, we're reminded again of the deep love of Christ for us. And now next week, we'll take a look at who actually hangs on the cross? He's as all God as if he weren't man, but he is as all man as if he weren't God. We'll explore that aspect of the cross again next week here on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650 650- 366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650 9923 And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today, and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.